Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. No, I'm not Bryce Dunn. I'm Manuel Weff and I'm hosting this podcast today because Bryce Dunn cannot make it today. But that's okay. I'll do my best to cover for him. Um, but before we go into this podcast, let's go over the match day results, shall we? Um, Gladbach 1, Leipzig 3. Schalke actually winning a game 3-0 against Hertha. Freiburg 1, Köln 2. Three points for the newly promoted side. Wolfsburg 1-1 against Paderborn. A little bit of a surprise. Leverkusen 0, Hoffenheim 0. Bit of a ball of a match. Bayern rampant against Mainz 6-1. The big shock of the match day, and we're going to be talking a lot about this. Union Berlin 3, Dortmund 1. Bremen beat Augsburg 3-2. And then the final match of the weekend, Frankfurt 2, Düsseldorf 1. Huh. Lots to talk about. And to help me talk about all of this, is as always Chris William our Liverpool and Bundesliga expert how are you doing today very well Manu thank you I'm back from a weekend in Germany very quick weekend um Saturday Berlin Sunday Bremen um but yeah it's been very nice yeah I, I bet I mean you saw the biggest shock of the match day the biggest surprise of the match day uh the first surprise of the match day is kicker titled it and You know, Chris, even though you were there, I, th I thought we needed some help to digest all of that. So um, we brought on Stefan Buschko, the creator of the Yellow Wall podcast, writer for ESPN on all things Borussia Dortmund and content manager at OneFootball. How are you doing, Stefan? Uh, network manager at OneFootball, but I'm... I'm uh, close enough. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still miffed. I'm still... Uh... Still not over the game on uh, from Saturday, so um, yeah, I'm sorry everyone, I'll be in a bad mood. But Manu, I didn't know your, your last name was pronounced Vef. I yeah, always, no, it's, it's an English thing. I always thought it was Fit, so I've already learned something coming on here, so thank you very Stefan, much for having Stefan, me. Stefan, it is Vate, because when I was home um, and <laughs> Angie, who is Manuel's sister, went mad because when someone said Vet, she was Manu, it's Vate. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know what? I've been living in North America for long enough to, uh, that I just give up when I speak English. <laughs> no one can pronounce it. But yeah, it, it, you're right. It's actually pronounced feet. Um, and uh, All yeah, right. it's not, I'm, I'm I'm not often confused. that I get corrected on the pronunciation of my own last name. So thank you, Stefan. Um, probably the main <laughs> reason why I brought you on today. <laughs> All right, I can leave now, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got other that, things oh. to attend to. <laughs> I don't... Uh, but before, you know, this... We're going to talk about the Dortmund, Stefan, um, now that you corrected my name. But I think first we need to talk a little bit about a couple other clubs that are probably going to challenge Borussia Dortmund at the very top. And um, very briefly, Leipzig hammering Gladbach on the Friday, 3-1, three goals by Timo Werner. Um, I'm going to go to you actually first, Stefan, on this. Do you think that contract extension, that's like, really taking the burden off him because he's been very good to start the season and Leipzig have looked very good overall. I don't know. I'm <laughs> I I don't know if, if it's down to the contract extension or just down to Julian Nagelsmann being at the helm and Timo Werner being a very skilled player and getting a lot of very good service 
from the midfielders around him because of the way that Julian Nagelsmann uh, um, lets them play. And plus, we must not forget if everyone who saw that game, uh, he uh, was uh, very much helped by one Matthias Ginter for that hat-trick. I mean, he uh, the the first Leipzig goal, Ginter just uh, couldn't really hold on to Timo Werner because of the pace. And the second one, I, or the third one, I think Ginter even assisted with a flick on header. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit of luck for for Ginter. I don't know if it's down to the contract extension, but, um, yeah, it's certainly very good for Leipzig to, to have him on. And now, of course, we are all very uh, interested to see how Schick will do. As the, as the latest edition that I think arrived, did did he arrive on on deadline day or was it a couple of days before I, I haven't looked at that closely. Yeah, that's a deadline day transfer, and it's another addition to a very deep squad, right, Chris? I mean, Leipzig. When you look at the side, they had a, such a deep midfield already, and now they're adding another striker to this team. Are they a title contender? Well, I mean, what we're only on match day, what three? I would, I would hold off on saying who is a a title contender. You know me, man. I don't even like to look at the table until match day ten. I think there's too much flux in it between then. There's too many teams who would normally finish mid table will have a great start to the season and, and vice versa. Um, but I think under Nagelsmann, they certainly could be a contender. I'd like to see where they are come match day ten because. They've got, as I said last week, they have got the chance playing some teams now that they should be expected to beat. So they need to make up these points because when they're going to play the likes of Dortmund and Bayern, etc., they're they're going to have to either take maximum points or a draw. They, I don't really think they can afford to lose, which is a really big ask, especially in a Bundesliga look at what happened this weekend. I would like to say I'm probably going to reserve judgment until the midway point on Leipzig, because I do think they've got all the potential, especially with the squad they've got now. I mean, how many times have we talked last season, the season before, that the, their squad depth was a real problem? I don't know if they've got that problem anymore. That's a, that's a nicety for them, but Werner's been playing exceptionally well. This might be the cynic in me, but I've got this feeling that he's playing now to, to showcase himself for everybody, um, because it's evident he's going to move at some point, I think. Now, whether that is in the midwinter with a um, contract agreed for the summer or whether it's a straightforward move, I think that depends on where Leipzig are in the table. But I think he's shot window in himself, and I think this is all to do with it. And um, I think that's going to benefit Leipzig, but it'll probably benefit Timo Werner in the long run. I'll answer that question a little bit differently. I would say resounding yes. And I will just name a couple of names. These are Heisenberg, Upamecano, Konate, and Klostermann. I think... Leipzig have one of the best defenses, if not the best backline at least, and they're defensively very sound. And with Julian Nagelsmann, they have the best coach at at the helm, and uh, they've already managed to concede the fewest goals last season around. And I think that will be the key for them to to be playing at the very top of the Bundesliga for the entire thirty four match days. So I would say yes, even though it's still very early, but um. They they already look pretty solid, and I think they are only going to improve. So um, for me, Leipzig are a definite title contender in this Bundesliga campaign. Yeah, I would actually go along with, with that as well, Stefan. I, I know I'm actually with Chris too. I don't really like to look at the table early on, but for me, it's not just the defensive line. It's also the midfield. They, very, they have a lot of depth in midfield as well, which I think is a key area um, if you want to be successful. And yeah, and you defensively, I mean, just the players that you named. Um, Arsenal offered a lot of money for Upamecano, right? And he's not even necessarily going to play every game for them. So I, I think that they are a very strong side. Um, question mark for me a little bit is how is Nagelsmann going to handle the balance between Champions League and Bundesliga football, right? That's something that he struggled a little bit with at Hoffenheim. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he's going to handle it at Leipzig with a much stronger squad, of course. So Yeah, he has far yeah. more depth now to, to rotate around a little bit. But um, yeah, of, of course, Leipzig may struggle with that. But um, I, I will remind you that even Dortmund and, and Bayern sometimes struggle in the league that after or before a Champions League tie that they don't pick up the maximum amount of points. So that's that's natural and even the elite teams go through that. So even if Leipzig drop a couple of points here and there, um, that's that's a given. And I, I, for myself, I don't know, have Leipzig actually beaten Bayern in the Bundesliga yet? I think they're their big jinx team, right? So um, 
that will be very interesting to see in in two weeks when these two sides clash. I'm extremely psyched about this game and a bit disappointed that Dortmund uh, probably will not, you know, be there to to capitalize. So um, yeah, but Bayern against Leipzig will be a huge game already on match day four. I mean, the only thing that concerns me with Julian Nagelsmann's side is they tend to leak a lot of goals. Now I know he's moved um, to Leipzig, who've got a fantastic backline. It just worries me how open they are. Last season, um, with Hoffenheim in the Champions League, we saw how sometimes they had to go two behind, or, or they were incredibly good at going forward, but then were just open at the back. Um, it just worries me that they may concede a lot of goals in one particular glut. Maybe if they have a, a bad mid-season, how will that affect them? Because for the past couple of years, they've been quite consistent. I mean, the, the first season in, you know, they pushed it all away to the last few matches. I, I just worry a little bit how open um, Nagelsmann's play is, which I think is great going forward, but maybe he just didn't have the players to play his system at um, Hoffenheim and now he has at Leipzig. Yeah, as you're probably right with the cautious approach, but uh, it's not like Dortmund's backline or Bayern's backline are are that much less leakier. So um, I wouldn't be too concerned in in the you know context of of the other teams. I am glad you're bringing up Dortmund Stefan, uh, Bayern because that's actually what we're going to talk about next. The resounding six-one trashing of Mainz, probably the biggest shock of the match day. I'm actually only kidding. Because I, I mean, that was that. This was probably the most expected result um, of the match day, but Bayern's backline um, did not look very good in the beginning of this match. Um, made a few mistakes. Benjamin Pavard. This is a player who was signed for a lot of money from a team that got relegated, basically because of his uh, French World Cup win CV, right? And um, Niko Kovac opting to play him as a right back, which I, I, I thought was rather interesting. Um, I've seen him play, um, I believe he played there at times for France. He's also played as a left back at times at Stuttgart, but I'm not 100% sold that that's his best position, um, that that's where you know Bayern should be playing him. Um, at the same time, th that defense was also an area that they spent a lot of money in. They spent 80 million euros on Lucas Hernandez, right? And yet Mainz found a way through. Then, of course, the, the quality came through. For me, Mainz is one of those sides that I, I see could pretty potentially relegate it at the end of the season. Um, that is that result, in, in the context of all this, how worried are you now that Bayern will just do what they always done? Yeah, they had a little bit of a wobble against Hertha and then now two very... Con convincing results against Schalke and Mainz. How worried are you as a Dortmund fan, Stefan, that Bayern will basically turn into that red machine like they have in the last seven years where they're just going to win every game and they're going to trash most of the Bundesliga opponents, especially considering the transfers that they made? Well, I think that Bayern will be as good as last season, if not better. Um, but the thing is, if you want to win the Bundesliga, you just have to be at the same level. Um, and if if not, you just can't compete because Bayern, even if they go to a quote-unquote transition year, they will be filthy strong. So that's just how how good they are. And I I personally must say though, um, I don't think Bayern looks un unbeatable. Um, if you looked the uh, if, you, if you saw the first half, um, it didn't really look like Bayern had all that much access to to Mainz and the the goals they scored Pavard on on a very difficult volley and then David Alaba free kick right before half time. Um, they they were great goals, yes, but um, Mainz I think for a good thirty to forty minutes really um had uh, yeah they 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 found ways to get past Bayern's pressing and really annoy Bayern and. You know, Mainz so far their entire season, the the three games has has been that they had a very good or decent start, and then in the end, got completely picked apart. And uh, obviously, that will happen in the Allianz Arena. But um, I think other teams can hurt Bayern because um, Bayern still look quite um, susceptible on on the counter attacks. And if you manage to play around Bayern's first wave of pressing, which is Hard, I admit, but um, there there are holes in that defense that that you can find, and uh, especially when uh, you you have Kimmich and Alcantara in midfield and then Pavard on the right, as you said, 
there obviously will be spaces um, where you can play and just because Bayern are not completely uh, used to these kind of systems. So uh, you, I think you see it quite well whenever Kovac switches around um, that players need to get used to it a little bit. And at the same time, um, I also think that so far this season Bayern have been over-reliant on their um, individual class, which probably is good enough for the Bundesliga, but on the international stage obviously isn't. And, um, you know... I always wonder when will be the time Robert Lewandowski picks up an injury. Um, this guy seems to be completely indestructible. And uh, I think his world-class, you know, consistency, you can say right now, um, really helps Bayern quite a stretch just, you know, in the way he, he sets up goals, scores goals. You know, the, the free kick um, that, that led to the 2-1 is, you know, from a typical Lewandowski moment where he just, you know, chests down the ball and, and runs at a defender and either he passes to the defender or gets fouled there. It seems not to be another option. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really feel like if as soon as something happens to Lewandowski, the entire Bayern uh, attack, if if you will, uh, starts really to, you know, it, it would be like sand in the gears. So I don't want to <laughs> hope for an injury there, obviously, but I'm I'm just trying to point out how overly reliant Bayern Munich right now are on their number nine. And I, I think you were spot on with that because I I watched this game and I wrote the match report on this, like I do on every Bayern game, right? And you could really sense that when Bayern struggled to break down minds, and they really did over the first, until that first goal went in, and then it was basically floodgates, right? that Lewandowski had at times had to play almost like a playmaker. He dropped so deep to collect the balls. Um, of course, then he's missing in the 16-yard box, 18-yard box, sorry. And that that creates holes. But at the same time, he's he's almost so good individually that he can he can compensate his absence up front because he's just so good in carrying that ball forward from that um, first third of the final third to the, the, the into the box, right? And... It's, it's it's really interesting to see how he almost became the catalyst of Bayern propelling forward. And when you said individual, they're relying on the individual performances, you may as well just say they're relying on Robert Lewandowski at the moment because he's by far their best player. Um, and he has been in the last three games as well. Like if anything ever happens, it's because of him. And I, I guess they, they, they're kind of hoping that Felipe Coutinho could maybe add that extra spark to it because Thomas Müller has been absent now for, for 18 months, right? Um, and I think that is, that's a good point because Lewandowski, um, when I spoke to him in Dortmund at the DFL Super Cup, he actually said, well, we, we, we need a backup for B. You know, we're signing players, but we actually need someone in case I go down with an injury because I'm not made out of steel. Like, I, I, I could get hurt or there will be days where I need a break because otherwise I will get injured. And that, that's maybe the only position where they really, they, they can replace every player in the squad. But this is the one player, um, even Thiago, I think they could compensate, right? But this is the player, if he picks up an injury, they will fall, the, the card house will fall apart. Um, and that's that's a really interesting point that you're making because that's something that I I thought about during that match as well. Yeah, but th there's another point. If, if if we talk about individual class, you know, we often look at at the attacking talent at Bayern. But I just want to point out because I don't think in general th these points are not made often enough. But Bayern Munich, as a whole collective, are extremely physical, and they can make up for a lot of tactical errors off the ball. By, by regaining possession very soon, just bullying other players off the ball with sheer physicality. I mean, obviously, we all look to Niklas Zule and such, but I also think just the tenacity that players like Kimmich or Alaba have, for example, um, also makes a huge difference that, that's maybe a little bit underrated, but, but one of... Uh, Bayern Munich's key key uh, components that they just uh, defend so well by just you know their presence, um, which other teams like for example Dortmund have to uh, find different solutions to because they do not have all that muscle to just you know get other players off the ball. But more on that maybe a little bit later. Chris, that's an interesting point Stefan makes. I mean we haven't really pointed that out, but Bayern do bully their opponents a bit, don't they? <laughs> yeah they do but i think that's a, a sign of a, a team who are 
maybe on top of their game because you need the physicality. I know football is lamented sometimes the fact that it's not as contact as it was, but you still need to be able to to bounce players off the ball, and it's it's key to winning the ball back early up the field. You know, for for pressing, high pressing, etc. You need to be able to have the physicality to make that back, and I think. They haven't got it in Coutinho where they brought in, but I do think they've got it in Perisic, who is, you know, I think he can put himself about a bit. Um, I think once Coutinho settles, he should be able to stop um, Lewandowski dropping as deep as he did because that's where he plays. He plays in that hole. So once he learns about his relationships with the players around him, I think Lewandowski won't have to drop down that much anymore. He'll be able to play a lot higher, more as a more as an out-and-out number one central striker, and he can rely on um, Coutinho in a hole behind him to fill that in. But, I mean, like you've already said, um, I think Bayern still look susceptible to a counter. And, I mean, we can take this all the way back to the start of the end of winter last year, start of spring, when a Champions League came back onto the knockout stages. You know, they were opened up then by a quick counter. Um, I don't know much has changed. And, if we look at who they played, they haven't really... I mean, Mainz are trash, and, and and they were still able to give them a test, especially going up a goal early on, but they haven't got the quality to sustain that. Schalke are a team in transition, um, and I think if they'd been able to score, you probably would have seen a different result last weekend. And then, of course, the I, Friday night... I think night... Schalke were actually not as bad as the result says. In, no, in no, not game. at all. But, I mean, if they were able to score... Um, I think Bayern have a different a different outcome, and and it's similar to what the game was against Hertha that opened the season, which is why I'm I can't wait for um, match day four because going away to the um, you know Red Bull Arena they're going to face a real test, but then they're not really going to face a test after that, so they may be able to drop points there because if you look at the teams they're playing afterwards, you you will probably expect them to pick up um, a lot of points. After that, I mean, once they've got Leipzig out of the way, they've got Cologne. You would expect them to pick up um, points against a newly promoted side, even though it is Cologne. Um, and then, um, you know, they're playing the likes of... Um, Paderborn, Hoffenheim. Paderborn, yeah, Paderborn away. I, I just have it right in front of me. Yeah, it's, yeah it should I, be a walk in the park for them. Right. Yeah, but but what I'm thinking is if they take a knockback um, against Leipzig, that might put them on a wobble because... We saw the, the bounce back from that that draw against Hertha, and I think it's only to the fact that Schalke couldn't put the ball in the net because you're quite right that wasn't a three nil game. Um, they could have called a, a team with more quality overall in Schalke, and a team that aren't haven't got a brand new manager and going through transition period would have asked more questions about Bayern. And as we saw last season, if they can if they get into a sort of dodgy run, um, they are capable of dropping points, but then they can very quickly turn it around. Um, but I expect them to be a, a little better once everyone settles. But Pavard as a right back for me, that that screamed, and we need to put him in somewhere um, because the centre backs we've got are just too good. Now maybe they go to three at the back, which I think would would suit them perfectly. But then you've got you've got to be able to fit Alaba in somewhere as well. Um, so it's a tough one for Kovac. Yeah, I think the the one thing too that Bayern favours is that Champions League group because I mean. They got Svrina Svetsta, Olympiakos and Tottenham and Tottenham have not looked good early on either in this season. Um, it's just a statistic of the last 34 games. Um, they have lost 14. Um, so not, not a hot team at all. And now they're getting Bayern basically getting the Europa League equivalent of a Champions League group um, to, to make it sound really harsh. And so they're not going to get challenged very much in a Champions League, which I think will suit them. So they have that RB Leipzig game, right? And they have a run of of not so great opponents in the Bundesliga and they can't really get weakened in the Champions League either because they're going to, I mean, even if Tottenham beat them, they're still going to finish comfortably second. Um, but not so comfortable. It has been for President Uli Hoeneß. Um, this is a titan of German football. He's been the president of Bayern with one short interruption, you know, some tax evasion scandal. Um, and he's, and on top of that, uh, he's been at Bayern in one capacity or another since uh, 1979 in management. Um, long, long time. He is going to step down in November. Um, he's making his presidency available. He's going to be replaced by um, Heinrich, CEO of Adidas. 
Um, also joining the board is Oliver Kahn. Um, I read this. Uh, there was a good interview by Salih Hamidzic and Kicker. He was actually okay with all these moves, even though in the past Salih Hamidzic said that he will not work under um, a CEO of sport. Um, he wants that position very much himself. I understand that Khan will eventually take the position as CEO of sport and maybe even become either the CEO of the club together, I think take over Rummenigge's position um, and really guide the club. I think Khan has... As, as a CEO, eventual CEO, has a very clear vision of what this club is going to look like. I think the wobbling between the presidency and the CEO, the conflict that we had between Hoeneß and Rummenigge, is um, something that has actually hurt the club behind closed doors. And I think that's that's going to end once Khan comes in. Um, I think it also, it puts a lot of pressure under Salihamidzic to perform and in turn also on Niko Kovac. So this is going to be very interesting. But, you know, from a not buy-in perspective, Stefan, Hoon is stepping down. I know he gets seen very critical around the league. If Basically, if you're not a, a fan wearing red and white to the Allianz Arena every second Saturday, you, you're definitely not an Ole Hoon fan. But yet this is still someone who had a lot of influence on the league. Um, I think the word Titan is, does not actually do it justice. Um, how do you see him stepping down? Um, because in some ways, maybe it was overdue. I, I I was just thinking overdue is the word here, um, because I think he is one of these, uh, you know, the, the 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 classic story of of the powerful old white men that uh, don't really find the right spot to to step down. I think uh, Uli Hoeneß has passed his time, and the influence and decision making he has shown in the past two years. And and since returning from his uh, jail cell, um, have not really influenced Bayern in a positive way. I feel like it's as as you just said, the clashes with Romanigge have um, yeah, boded not well for Bayern in a couple of key decision making. Um, I would especially criticize Hoeneß for not signing Thomas Tuchel. Um, I think that was very much um on on his cap and I think Tuchel at Bayern would have been a much much better solution than uh, Niko Kovac is, is right now um, that would have been a lead coach yes Tuchel is not the easiest guy to deal with but uh, which elite coach is that Pep Guardiola certainly isn't either and if we look at Mourinho and, and so on and so forth um, most of these uh, guys are, are their own personalities as well as well so um yeah, I think that's that's a bit of an issue for for Bayern and uh, also just the the entire. If we just look at this summer, I mean, at the end, I think Bayern's transfer window can be seen through you know quite positive prism. But nevertheless, um, you know, a couple of comments Hoeneß made, I think in Doppelpass, you know, just talking up the the players that Bayern uh, supposedly already had uh, surely signed, but then uh, turned out they didn't. And um, it's just bad communication overall, and I just think um, it's it's time for new blood at Bayern. So um, while we can all acknowledge that I think Oli Hoeneß is one of the greatest figures in German football and has had German football by a large stretch um, to to get where it is now, I think um, it would have helped the club um, quite a bit if he had stepped down quite sooner than than he is doing now. And I also don't know. In, in what role he will be then and if he isn't still pulling a couple of strings here and there. I don't think a guy like him can completely let go. No, I, definitely not. I mean, he's still going to have a role, right? And Oli Hoeneß is always going to be a part of this club. And we spoke about <laughs> bullying, how Bayern bully their opponents uh, on the field. I, I think that is very much Oli Hoeneß football. In fact, that's I, I know from someone who knows Hoeneß very well that that's how he's always seen the club and he, that's why they always bring in people with that Mirzan Mir mentality, right? Um, Kovac, for example, he was brought in because he's played at the club. Um, that was the reason. Um, Pep Guardiola at the time was signed because that was a feather that they could, like, that was something that they could, um, it was almost like a trophy for them, right? We can sign Pep Guardiola. Look at us. Like, we're Bayern. We can get everyone. And that's kind of the mentality you see that throughout the club. Like they play like that, but they always behave like that on the on the transfer window. And Chris Hoeneß, in a recent statement, when it came to Khan, we need someone who can sit across the table 
And then he listed a bunch of players that he's talked to personally, including Leroy Sané. Now, this is a player who's property of another club and is not supposed to be talked to. How did that come across in England that Hoeneß is like, Romanik is basically put the cap on this. No one's going to talk about Sané until, you know, we're basically allowed to talk to him. But how did this come across? I mean, Hoeneß basically confirming that Bayern had talked to Sané on a personal level. Well, I mean, if you mention the, the words Bayern Munich and Manchester at the moment, especially in a blue off of Manchester, it's, it's not well taken upon at all. Um, they feel like they, they try to bully one of their players out and, and using that word as well by doing it publicly. And I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you, with you guys and what Stefan said there. I think it has gone on for two years, maybe too long. They needed a change. I mean, we only have to look back at that um, circus-like press conference that we were all thinking, oh, what's this big announcement? And you know, they, pulled, <laughs> they pulled the media in for a, for a telling off. Like you would, I mean, that's something that would have happened 10 years ago. Man, it's, that, it's that simply... was one of my highlights last season, though. <laughs> like I, I had all the popcorn uh, in, in front of me because I knew it was going to go down, and especially uh, Hassan Salihamidzic uh, not, you know, making... Uh, give, give, giving the best speech obviously was was nice, but just to, you know the talk, talking about the German First Amendment and and you know the human dignity and all that. So it just just shows the arrogance of of Bayern Munich and and uh, you know how they put themselves on a, on a pedestal. But all that being said, um, you know the ho- hypocrisy of of Manchester City of issuing an official letter that Leroy Sané is not you know being talked to. Um, <laughs> I I don't know what to say. I feel like literally every club is doing that in in world football, especially in the elite teams. Oh yeah, so they I, are. I don't. Yeah, of course they are. So um, you know, I don't I don't think it's a big concession to make by Uli Hoeneß to blurt that out that he talked personally to to Leroy Sané. So um, I don't think that's a big deal at all. And if Man City blow that up for some reason, um, I I'm pretty sure we can point to five or more examples where, where they literally do the same or worse. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really care too much about that. But obviously, um, yeah, if if Kalle Rummenigge gives out a communication strategy and then Uli Hoeneß blasts right through it, that's obviously not uh, uh, how you would run a company, let alone a football club. And I think they've suffered from that for the for the last couple of transfer windows because... They didn't get Sane. They didn't get um, Callum Hudson Odoi. It was the same sort of public pursuit, and other clubs don't like that. And you are right; clubs tap up players all the time because I think Manu, we spoke about this the other week. There was a great article in the Athletic where an unnamed chairman said, "Of course, we talk to players before we speak to the club. There's absolutely no point in going to a club and saying, oh, we want to sign Leroy Sane if you don't know that Leroy Sane is 100% interested in coming. And the only time you make a move is if you know he's 100% interested, and every club across the country does it. But when it goes wrong, clubs don't like it. You think of Jurgen Klopp being dragged through the mud with his tapping up of um, Virgil van Dijk, taking him out to Blackpool for an ice cream. You know, this goes on all the time across every league, across every continent, in all other federations, but it's when it goes wrong, clubs don't like it. Um, and yeah, Manchester City, you know, they've obviously got, well, they haven't got four now, they've got three investigations into them, some of which transfer dealings. So they're obviously not going to like it, but for Bayern, I think this will be a real change for them. And you know, someone like Oliver Kahn, I think if you cut him in half, he'd be like a stick of rock. He'd be red on the outside with um, blue and, and white slashes in the middle. He would actually look like the Bayern badge if you cut him in half. So, I think they need to be bringing that in and, and he's a clever businessman and, and he's probably got the latest business knowledge and is looking forward. Well, I think do think Bayern are just operating in that little window which is probably four to five years behind some other clubs. Well, if I may make one general point, sorry Manu, um, is that I actually can't wait for Bayern Munich to change um, you know, their key figures and at the same time, I think Dortmund are also not far away from having a change up at the top. I don't think Watzkenswag will be there forever. I think we'll see um, Kiel and, and Lars Ricken, for example, take over in in the next three or four years or whatever. And uh, then have Oliver Kahn or, or whoever, maybe Max Eberl um, at Bayern and so on and so forth. So just the, the, the change of a generation 
which usually doesn't happen so often, at least uh, not not in my lifetime as an active fan. I, I can't think of too many changes at, at these positions. I'm I'm just very intrigued of how all this pans out, and I'm just um, yeah very very uh, hopeful and and uh, you know just looking forward to 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 change. That's all. Yeah, I I actually with you on that one. I think that Khan is going to change a lot at this club. Oliver Kahn is going to bring some fresh blood, and you already mentioned Max Ebel. I wouldn't go quite that far, but if I was Sally Hamicic and Niko Kovac at the moment, I'd be really worried about the changes that are happening because Hoeneß protected Kovac through large stretches of last season, and he's basically gone. So if I, I, they go through a stretch like they did last year, at any point this year, or at any point after November when Hoeneß is gone, Kovac is going to be gone. Like, finger snap, gone. And I think that's that's going to be really interesting. The dynamic at the club is going to change. And with Khan, you, you get someone who really knows what he wants, right? And I think he's also going to come to this club with such a straight-up vision that's going to be so different than this, like, we're going to hang on to this mentality that we're buying and that's going to be good enough. He's going to come in with a business plan. Um, and I know a lot of hardcore fans won't like this, but... You look at, we spoke about Leipzig earlier and the good things that they have been doing. They have a business plan. Yeah. You might not like the model of a club that they are, but they are a modern club with a business plan and they're going to be successful in Germany because they have that. Well, and, you know, uh, if I may stop you right there, uh, just look at Leipzig's very first uh, Bundesliga game this uh, this uh, season. You know, they, they couldn't even sell out their own stadium. So all business plans... Uh, maybe may very good, but I, I think uh, Leipzig still have a lot of work to do, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, but look at where they got I, in I, such a short I, time. I know, I know, but 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 still, um, you if 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 you talk about a franchise and brand development, it always boats on to how many people actually tune in when you play, and uh, if you can't even fill your own stadium, that's uh, that that's not great. Um, but I oh let them win win them let them win a couple of championships. Yeah, over, and have overall you're, like obvious, get used you're, to that. you're obviously right. right. Just wanted to yeah. to make that quick point. But I think for for a more neutral perspective, I think Oliver Kahn is also just a very welcome face because he's just not as unlikable as Romanigge and Hoeneß. Yeah. Well, until he does run the club for a few years. And yeah, but, but but <laughs> but I just don't think that that Oliver Kahn will become like Hoeneß and, and Rummenigge are right now. I just He's just not the type of person. I, I just don't see it. I, I still think he always will be fair and, and a bit more gentle and won't, you know, be running Abteilung Attacke from uh, uh, the sort of, uh, yeah, the same rhetoric, let's say. I mean, obviously he can maybe talk down opponents, but maybe in a nicer way. I, I think he'll just be more respectful to other Bundesliga clubs verbally. That's all. It will end the 1990s at Bayern. Is basically what you're saying. Yeah, I, I actually do hope so too. I, I think it's much overdue. Yeah, but you know what else is overdue, oh. Stefan? <laughs> no, it's not. We can still talk about Bayern all day. <laughs> okay, so we'll go to Chris first. Chris, how was uh, the Alte Försterei? Yeah, it was great. Well, when I eventually got there after um, after there was no air conditioning on the bus, and then my tram broke down, and then the next tram. Um, stopped running three kilometers from the ground and it was like 33 degrees once i got there it, it was wonderful as it always is um you know it's a tremendous little stadium um i can't believe and the noise and we're going to get to it but when that third goal went in i i defy anybody who was there to tell me that there was only twenty two thousand people in that stadium because you know it was as loud as well it was as loud as um as Dortmund stadium is as loud as as any stadium i've been to is as loud as Porto stadium that was uh, last season and yeah the acoustics are, are, are spot on it's a great place to go it's a great place to work from um yeah i was thankful to the Dortmund media team who uh, once things went a little bad were able to just keep me updated how liverpool were getting on <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, good. good. Good for you. <laughs> but, I mean, we should probably talk about what's on the pitch. And, Stefan, you'll know this. No, I, I, it, I, I think it's worth pointing out. Cologne game. I, I think it's worth pointing out that there are 75% uh, of, of the seats, well, not seats in, in the uh, 
Spectator Area are all standing areas in the Alt or Stadion an der Alten Försterei, which is quite amazing and uh, certainly unique in the Bundesliga. 75% um, standing area is just, you know, it's a dream. So I think there was a, was a they, they showed it on Sky, um, Sky Germany. Uh, I was streaming it from uh, here in Philadelphia. Uh, to at least get the the pre-match and you can you know Mats Hummels when he entered the pitch he just said this is awesome you know you you could read it on his lips so um yeah I'm I'm very glad that Union Berlin are in the Bundesliga just because of the uh, amazing atmosphere then they can produce obviously it cost Dortmund on on the field this time but nevertheless that's uh you know if you market the Bundesliga or you know just the experience you get and you're just raving about it I think that's just absolutely fantastic And I'm very glad uh, we'll get at least 17 games of that, if not more. And Stefan, um, Dortmund won't be the only team to suffer that. If if um, Union had their shooting boots on for the first game against Leipzig, where I was there, they did plenty to, to score, and that game might have been completely different. Um, but yeah, it, it's phenomenal atmosphere. It's, it's you know it's one of the best, probably in Europe, I would say. Um, and Manu, we were there for a couple of Bundesliga two games, weren't we? And it was exactly the same. So it doesn't matter whether it's the top division or the second division, the the passion remains the same from the fans. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is, I remember when we walked through the forest the first time and this is now two years ago. Remember we did a live podcast from, from the walk up and then after the game as well. Of course, we're not allowed to podcast during the game, uh, DFL regulations and all that. But I, I just remember walking towards the stadium and you could smell and see this, this, the smoke from all the, the, the barbecue stands all around um, the stadium. And like, I, I remember talking to you guys and saying, like, I can already smell the stadium. Um, it has, it's like such a sensual experience. It's uh, maybe almost too sexual, but that's kind of what it felt like. And there's not that many crowns in Germany that have that feel um anymore you know especially like the new ones I, I mean of course i remember growing up going to the grünwalder stadion or uh, in munich or even the olympia stadion because like, you actually had to they close to town right um the allianz arena is quite a ways out of munich it doesn't have that inner city feel of a stadium or that that intimacy um that a lot of stadiums have i i guess you get it a little bit in dortmund as well right stefan the stadium is pretty much very close to town you can actually walk there there's like barbecue stands all around you have the, the pub right outside the stadium as well so you get that there but the alte försterei is is special it's a very very special stadium um but stefan hummels you mentioned hummels face um his express impression expression was he maybe a bit too awed by everything that was happening no i i don't, I don't think he was because hummels uh, for himself had a pretty good game so No, 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 Manu. No, he did not. So he was the only one that actually was impressed by it, but lived up to the expectation. I think it was you who tweeted at one point said that Hummels played the perfect pass. Unfortunately, it was it Paco Alcazar who didn't, or Mark Royce who didn't make the run. It seemed all a little bit disjointed, didn't it? I actually thought at one point the game looked a little bit what I saw from Germany at the World Cup. Lots of passing, lots of possession. Very little penetration and goal scoring opportunities. Yeah, it's it's probably true. Uh I I don't know if if you want to ask me a couple more pointed question, otherwise I'll go on like a half hour rant and uh nobody wants wants that. But uh yeah <laughs> I I said earlier to a friend of mine that uh Dortmund right now uh a team basically the European top team um from you know if if you look at the names it, it it reads like a european top team but they make the mistakes of a relegation threatened side so uh this is probably how how to sum it, sum it up best because uh dortmund just again and again uh you know they just outdo themselves in 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 with with laughable errors and shoddy set piece defending so I don't I don't know about which area you want to talk first, but um, yeah, there's there's let's talk, a lot let's to talk dissect. About the coach. Let's start with the coach, Lucien Favre. Um, I give you a start. First season in Nice, seventy eight points. Second season in Nice, fifty six. Are you worried? And I mean, Favre. I actually think Favre is an excellent coach. Uh, don't get me wrong, but do are you worried that his tinkering? <laughs> 
Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Is maybe doing too much there, or where do you, where do you put the finger on one thing when it comes to Faber? Where do you see the biggest problem right now? Because obviously his side is playing the football that he wants them to play, but it's just not working in terms of them getting the results. I mean, Augsburg and Köln both managed to get early goals. Union did too, and against Union, they were not able to respond. So w if you put the finger on Fabre right now, where's, what's the one thing that really does bother you um, about his coaching style at the moment? It, it's a close thing, but if I had to name one thing, it's his, uh, um, his tactical conservatism. I think that's that's annoys me the most. I think um, he has a certain idea of how he wants his team to play, but um, it's... It's something um, that that doesn't necessarily work out all the time, and I think a lot of other Bundesliga coaches have his number by now. And I think he just needs to uh, add a couple more. Uh, I don't want to say systems, but a couple of tactical uh, maneuvers to to his game to play around that, basically. Uh, but he got those players right. I mean, Chris and I we spoke about a couple of weeks ago how now he has players that he can put into midfield because. Remember, about a year ago, um, I was up in Dortmund. We spoke pre-match, um, the Monaco game. Remember that? And you said Delaney and Witzel. That's not a lot of creativity in midfield. It worked for them a very, very long time, right? Um, but I agree with you. That's a very conservative approach. Um, playing two holding midfielders, defensive midfielders like that, especially against a side like Union Berlin. Um, is that That's basically the point where I would say it's like, Come on, like bring in someone like Julian Brandt, who did play in that pivot role for Bosch at times in Leverkusen, like actually quite played there quite well as well. Um, that's I think where I would make the first adjustment if I was him. You know, if I were the coach, I would have approached this game with the single pivot. I would not have opted for double pivot. I would have just played Weigel and uh, I would have dropped Royce for Götze and played him together with uh, Julian Brandt and then have Sancho on the right and then maybe Hakimi on the left of that front four or, or Guerrero and then Alcázar up top. That is how I would have started the game because I, you know, m maybe some Dortmund fans will, will just open their eyes right now but I, <laughs> or raise their eyebrows or whatever, but I, I don't think that Marco Royce is uh, um, necessarily the best option for a game like this because I think he needs a lot of space to operate in in comparison to Götze. And I do think that... Um, he's not as effective and if we look at Dortmund's schedule and the uh, uh, international schedule there are not a lot of games for Marco Royce to actually get a rest so this would have been a game where I would have uh, put him on a bench at least so um but obviously Lucien Favre wouldn't do that but my 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 bigger issue really is um the um I think he always preaches patience like this is the the overriding word you hear uh, at the press conference after the game. And, and what Dortmund is doing right now is um, they try to shift the ball from one fullback to the other until the opponent can't really move the chains quickly enough. And then there's a gap in the middle that uh, or a channel that opens up for, for Hummels or Kanji to pass the ball vertically to you know one of the other midfielders in, into a half space and then basically um, either directly create an attack or then rotate the ball around in, in, in the you know final third and hopefully the back line then can push up so you can dominate 
position in the opposing half. This is what Lucien Favre is trying to do. But the problem is it's right now not working out at all because what Cologne have done and now Union Berlin have done is they've had two quite physical and, and uh, also very fast center forwards that really annoy Dortmund's backline and um, leave the midfielders, uh, Dortmund's, be it Witzel, Weigel or, or also Delaney in the cover shadows. And uh, in Cologne's case, the their defensive midfielders also pushed up, so they man-marked Dortmund's uh, defensive midfielders, and then uh, when Dortmund passed the ball to the fullback, um, then opponents also just simply isolate the, the vertical channel there, and then Dortmund have a huge problem because their backline, as as they start out their, of their build-up, is still very deep, and the front four usually waits beyond the halfway line, and that really stretches the play. And the problem is that uh, when Dortmund try to play a vertical pass, then it usually is very long, and that means very risky. And when your opponent pushes you quite deep, that means uh, it's very easy in case of a turnover to at least uh, have numerical parity, if not another player. And I think we saw it when Dortmund conceded that 2-1, when Akanji made a mistake, um, you know, Union Berlin's players were right in position for, uh, you know, you had one pass from, I think, Bülter it was to, to Andersen, and he could then run at Akanji, and uh, it was a two-on-one situation, basically, and uh, or well, two-on-two, and this is something uh, that that's a worry for Dortmund. So, um, in, in short, the bottom line is Dortmund's build-up play right now is not working as it's supposed to, simply because uh, opponents have figured out how to proactively combat it by just, you know, bravely, courageously pushing Dortmund forward. And then the next problem is whenever Dortmund are in that second phase where they want to um, have or where they have the possession in the opposing half, then uh, it's it's just too static. That means uh, their midfielders are not making all the runs they are supposed to. And uh, then Dortmund play just slows down and it's very easy to a for the opponent gain or regain shape and compactness and Dortmund just uh yeah not not really um up to speed literally and then also easily lose possession and then basically trying to pin the opponent back down and and uh, suffocate them with possession just doesn't work as they want and they just can't create any chances because they never go into that final stage, phase three or whatever you want to call it, where they are really close to the box as they showed against Augsburg and then either play a ship ball behind that back line or, or you know, dribble via central or so and get really into that dangerous space. So it just never happens for Dortmund uh, against especially um, these feisty, plucky underdogs. So, um, yeah, and especially in these games, Dortmund's, well, one of Dortmund's biggest strengths, which is the counterattack, also never really comes to light only if they take the lead which so far hasn't really happened so yeah um lo- long monologue here but uh there, there are several players and uh, i can still name a couple more problems but uh if, if you have another question please go ahead maybe chris wants to say something too yeah i was actually gonna go to chris because chris from what stefan just said that sounds like an ideal opponent for an union berlin side um you wrote after the leipzig game that if they had their scoring boots on they would have had a really good chance of winning the game is that really what made the difference against dortmund because their dortmund were a predictable and b union berlin actually put the ball in the net oh i think they were they they looked more fired up i don't know against leipzig they were maybe taken a little bit aback because it was their first you know, game in the Bundesliga as their first home game. There was a lot of build-up, um, not just in the international press, but also in a local press. It, it was They were put on a pedestal and, and maybe they stuttered a little bit, but they were a lot better in the second game against Augsburg. And I think they built on that and they just seemed to be first to the ball to everything. They looked more hungry. I also wrote that, Dortmund looked shell-shocked at one point. Okay, they went one down, um, but they were able to come back from that, which which I also put in a match report. seems to be a trend at the moment. Dortmund have to go one down in order to score again very quickly, and they did. They got one back within you know, three, four minutes. Um, it was after that. There was no, what we'd seen further on, especially in the Augsburg game, is they pushed on, um, and that didn't happen, and that's because of what Stefan said. 
Union Berlin didn't allow them. I thought their their double pivot was excellent, where Dortmund's wasn't particularly as good as it could have been. Um, and I just thought, well, especially um, Bulter on the on the left hand side was he just had the game of his life. If he has another game like that, I would be, you know, pleased for him. But I'd also be a little shocked. I thought he was wonderful. Um, and they were also powered on by the crowd, and I think a crowd has a real big impact on a on a team like that, especially once the second goal went in. Even though there was plenty of time left, it was only in the 50th minute, I didn't really feel like Dortmund were able to create those chances. Um, it's very rare that I watch Dortmund in the flesh and I'm not leaving thinking how wonderful you know Jadon Sancho is, especially over the last season. But he, the the supply to him was stopped and the supply to Alcacer was stopped. I, I was also surprised that Mario Gotze didn't get a chance. I thought this looked like a sort of game, maybe around about the in between where the the two goals went in. So around about the the hour mark, I think if he would have came on, it's two one. I, I think he might have been able to make a difference with with his movement. I think he might have offered the the back two or the, sorry the two centre backs more of a, a problem than Alcacer did. Um, but I could only, but I could only. I can only praise what Union did, and and it was a twelfth man that powered them on, um, and it could have been worse in the end, I think, for Dortmund because you know three one didn't really tell the tale of the story. There was a couple of more good opportunities, um, and yeah, it, it was a bad day at the office for them. But yeah, they looked second best. I also put in um, in a match report on sportstat.com that at one point if if you were just parachuted in from out of space you wouldn't know who was a title favorite and who was a relegation candidate in that game because the tables were completely turned and 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 it was after that second goal went in between between when the second between when the second goal was scored on 50 um and the third one 75 minutes in those 15 minutes um, sorry in those 25 minutes there could have been more. It was just such a strange period of the game. And by the time the substitutions are made um, with Guerrero coming on um, and then maybe even later with Brank going off, I-, I thought the game was lost. And maybe after 2-1, we're making, if it's me, I'm making a couple of changes after that goes in straight away because I can almost read the script. I could read the script when the second goal went in that there was no way back. I don't know why... Lucien Favre maybe didn't. Maybe he wanted a, the patience, as Stefan said, patience in in, in trusting his squad in, in the football they want to play. But it was pretty obvious that something needed to be changed, and it wasn't. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was a bad day for Dortmund, but it was it was a day that will live long in the memory. I think for everybody um, connected with the Union Berlin. It, I mean, even leaving the stadium it was a fantastic experience. Um, yeah, it, it's a hard one, and what it's done and and i mentioned this as well it's sort of opened up now for me this is how you can play against dortmund um i would be a little worried that this will have been studied especially by teams that no disrespect to union teams with a, a lot more quality and depth will have looked at that coaches and the the analytics team will have looked at this and seen this is how we get into Dortmund. Look at how you cut off these passing lanes. Look at how high we need to play. It's very risky because if you lose out that ball, you know the speed on the left and right that Dortmund have got, they can kill you instantly. But if you can stop it and you can control them, um, yeah, it could have been a lot worse than 3-1 for Dortmund in the end. I think they were lucky to escape with 3-1 and, and it wasn't maybe a, a 4 or I don't think it would have got to a 5, but 4-1 would have been a complete whipping. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, uh, I think was Fisher actually admitted. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was already the pre-match conference, but I I think he went on the record in saying that. Uh, well, no, it was a post-match conference where where he basically um, talked about, um, you know, Uja and Anderson, the two strikers, and how how high they pushed basically, and and in, in what formation and what style they they played, especially with with Uja um, always keeping an eye on on Weigel and and, and so on. Um, that he basically carbon copied what uh, John Cordoba and Anthony Modest did on the previous Friday, basically, uh, against Dortmund. And um, yes, there's a br- blueprint out there on how to beat Dortmund. And the problem is it's not been drafted this season. It was already out there last season just because um, 
everything that went wrong for Dortmund, and I think that's the most alarming news, is something that went wrong for them is exactly the same way last season already. And it's it's same old, same old, in, instead of having new problems. And this is where this is to me the most alarming thing because usually after a season, especially if you lose the championship by three points, basically you would sit down and uh, address the issues of the past season. And Dortmund just have not figured out a way to do that, even though you brought in Hummels and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, that's very disappointing, especially especially the set piece defending. Dortmund last season conceded forty four percent in total of their goals from set pieces and uh, if I'm counting correctly uh, this season already they have from their five goals conceded three of corners um, so yeah this is, a, this is a huge problem and uh, one of the assistant coaches from Lucien Favre called Manfred Stefes um, I think should be fired or at least they should get another uh, person in charge of, of set piece defending because uh, that is such a um, yeah, long-lasting problem now for Dortmund. There does not seem to be any improvement, and I think over you know six, seven, eight months, if there's not an improvement, you you, you need to change the personnel and also just the approach because right now Dortmund are defending um, with a zonal marking approach when they defend corners and opponents are just easily, very easily uh, figuring out where Dortmund are you know have their blind spots in that sort of defending and I think Kevin Demirbay already said it because Dortmund are playing Leverkusen next that they will have a couple of extra shifts in, in set piece defending because he uh, set piece attacking because he says literally yeah set pieces can make the difference and uh, this is a this is a huge problem for Dortmund and if they don't watch out this is how they basically lose every single game or at, at least against you know minnows who who have that one thing in their toolkit more than other teams maybe because it's just a very effective way and especially against Dortmund. So this is this is another big problem of of so many that I can name right now. But yeah, it's also individual mistakes. If we look at Manuel Akanji, he had a hip surgery a couple a few months ago, and uh, ever since returning from that, he has not looked the same. And uh, yeah, he has made a big individual error or two in a row now against uh, Union that led to, to a goal and uh, also in, in games beforehand he did not look too solid so that's a main concern because the the next centre-back that Dortmund have for his position is Leonardo Balerdi who uh, Dortmund signed last January in um, from Boca Juniors for 15 million but he has zero Bundesliga minutes as far as I know or maybe one or two or whatever but um, yeah, he is not a proven Bundesliga player, so it, it's another worry. So it's again set piece defending and individual errors that that lead to to uh, a lot of goals at Dortmund League. And uh, yeah, if you want to be Bundesliga champions, this is exactly the sort of mistake you can make. Period. That's good final words there, Stefan. Unfortunately, um, we are out of time. <laughs> <laughs> And you are basically, that's good news though. That means you do no longer have to talk about Dortmund's crisis um, for another two weeks, actually, until they play Leverkusen at home. <laughs> yeah, so. very, very lucky for Mario Götze, because I had a yeah. couple of things to say about him too, but uh, that's yeah, fine. We'll, we'll probably have to save that for another day, <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> we are very limited. But um, as always, Stefan, it was really great having you on. Um, it's very insightful. I always love chatting to you about Borussia Dortmund. So, but if you want to stage is yours to pluck a couple of things that you do. I mean, I already mentioned Yellow Wallport. Um, where can people find that? Yes, uh, I've uh, made a change um, at the beginning of this season. And that is um, I'm writing now a lot of content for theyellowwall.net uh, where I, you know, translate interviews, uh, add news and, and write, write features and that I've put behind a paywall because otherwise it's not financially feasible for me and I also don't want to uh, you know annoy people with with ads I don't think they're too uh, they, they don't pay too well anymore anyway so uh people can subscribe to to that via Patreon for $1 a month and then get all the Dortmund content that I put out there and of course the Yellow Wall Pod our English language Borussia Dortmund podcast where you will hear me rant a little bit more and longer than one hour I believe <laughs> then uh, uh, you can find that on uh, yeah theyellowworld.net and the Yellow Wall Pod in your iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud and whatever you, wherever you find your podcasts 
So thank you for having me, Manu. As always, a pleasure and fantastic stuff. Make sure to give all of that a follow. Chris, how about you? Um, it's an international break. I know you always welcome those because it means you have a bit of time off. <laughs> um, yeah, but that... I can would, relate. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd normally like some time off if there weren't clubs from the football grad sphere visiting the UK. Um, I'm in Wales this coming international break because Wales take on Azerbaijan and Belarus. Yeah. No, almost forgot about yeah. that, but yeah, that's that's correct. You actually are traveling for the Football Guard Network. Yes. Uh, I have to update my calendar somewhere. Um, but yeah, actually, good that you mentioned that, Chris, because that content will be available at Football Guard Live on Twitter, as will be this podcast, the Football Guard podcast that we do. Um, there will be a few previews out on the international break. We're not going to take completely time off. And then you can find my stuff at Manuel Veff on Twitter. <laughs> um, I have an article that I'm working on that should be actually already published by the time this podcast comes out on Forbes. A little bit of a transfer window roundup. And um, yeah, that's about it. Well, until next week, everyone. Auf Wiedersehen. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.